And that, of course, is the Port Power theme song. And we're joined tonight by Russell Ebert Hamble to talk about all things Port Adelaide and their remarkable resurgence and uh, the love affair that the uh, media nationally seems to have with them. And uh, so good evening, Russell Ebert Hamble. Thanks for coming on. No problems, Brooke. And, of course, I've got the crew from the podcast here tonight, uh, Happy Dude and also Cookson have stuck around to fire away at you. Um, it, a reasonably good start to the season for you, uh, 2-0. Uh, you beat Carlton in the first round, uh, unfortunately, and uh, you also took out the showdown in a very big game against Adelaide on the weekend in front of a packed crowd and a new oval. How, how are things going down at Port Adelaide? Uh, pretty well, pretty well. It's a uh, complete opposite of two, three, four years ago. Um, everybody seems to be happy. Everybody seems to be... The big thing is belief. I think uh, the players believe in Ken Hinckley and they now believe they can actually win. I'm not saying to win the premiership, but they can win game week in, week out. And, you know, confidence. You could make a little pill... It gave you confidence you'd be the richest person in the world. What what role in that has uh, Ken Hinckley played, do you think? Oh, obviously fundamental. Um, I went to a club function. Um, uh, the called Club 1870 members were slightly higher up with members of Magpies as well as, um, obviously, the Power. And, and I asked him, I, 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 there was a documentary called um, uh, Being... Uh, no... We are, we are Liverpool or being Liverpool. And uh, they had their new coat. or he's in their second year now like Ken. And he said something like, um, uh, we educate players. Uh, we, we don't train, we educate players. You train dogs. And I sort of used that line. And then I said, you know, how did you go about educating our guys? Because this, this was, say, week six into last year. Because we look so structured. Um, and we look so different compared to the previous years and we're not making fundamental errors. He sort of talked about it, talked about his footy philosophies and then he said as part of the pre-season, 12-13 pre-season, he gave the players 30 game simulation uh, exercises and they had to keep on doing them until they got them right. And then I asked, have we ever done that before? And he said, I don't know. And there were three players. There was Chad Wingard, uh, Brett Ebert and Hamish Hartland. Hamish Hartland sort of looked and said, "No, we've never we've never done that before." But I don't know whether that was from Ken or whether that was from Richo, but he's brought he's my my belief is you start from the back line and back line. You know, there's plenty of good midfielders who've made good coaches and forwards, but the majority of coaches are backline players. And what he brought was he got our back line. Him, he was a half back flanker. Um, Richardson's a halfback flanker, and Cookson might might talk about Richmond and where if they if he's picking not Richmond um, Richardson doing that at St Kilda, and we finally got uh, Matthew Nix up from a development coach to be our backline coach, and uh, Dean Bailey was our backline coach between 2002 and 2006, and if you look at his first three or four years, Port's defence was the uh, most miserly or second most miserly. And then he went to the midfield. And then a series of midfielders have been our, our backline coach. Uh, and so when, when uh, Matthew Nix came in, I had a chat to him. And I said, you know, I remember you playing up in Sydney. I hope you bring the Sydney style to our backline. And, you know, Hinkley's got a lot to, it, to him. But I think when you don't have the ball, 
it's important to sort of obviously what you do with it and win it back. And that was the start of the big port change. You know, obviously we're running more, our skills are better and all that. But it's to me, it's it started from defence. We're a bit so much better side. And then as we're doing the other things better, our kicking's improved out of sight. Obviously our running has improved out of sight. Um, generally our skills, you make more mistakes when you're tired. We're not, we don't get as tired. You know, more confidence sort of on the roll. But I think I think Hinkley, great teacher, is important. He's a teacher. He talks about being ruthless and brave. He says he's ruthless and honest with his players. He's got great honesty. And he had an interview on the, um, what's that ABC program on the Sundays, The Inquisition on ABC Radio. He talked about the grand final. And he said, you know, I, I was going to tell the players to gun and go at Geelong. And he said, uh, in the end, I didn't. I was conservative. He said, that's my fault. He said, I'm the reason why we lost because I didn't follow through what I thought we should do. I wanted to be conservative. So to me, it's real leadership from the top is that he says, no, no, it's, I don't blame my players. It's almost like Ruse the other night on AFL 360. Ruse said, I coach badly. It's not about the players play badly. I'm part of this. And that's sort of what Hinkley is. Uh, and as I said, it's, it's a whole series of things. But to me, it's defence, starting from defence. It's being honest and no bullshit. Back his players, tell his players to be ruthless and brave and, and to trust in each other, and he trusts his players. And they're now playing for him. All right, I want to open it up to the other guys to ask you some questions, yep. um, if they I've have any. I've got some I really want to start with. Like, when I see Porter, like, Darren Burgess is, I consider, also one of the big ins because their conditioning is perfect because every week they're at the same intensity over and over again and that gets you because they're just you know what you get you're going to get an intense hard game of football and his knowledge of when he was in the Premier League where they played like 50 games and the conditioning is key is just adds so much to Port Adelaide and that's where I see one of their big advantages is that they're fit over and over and over again and also their on brawl brigade who are tough and they've got quite varied skills because you've got Boke who's excellent outside run good inside Ebert who's a long kick Hartlett who's got a beautiful technique for kicking Ollie Wines who's pretty much a man child like when he was born he probably was born six foot Biceps the size of a freaking Commodore. Then also you got the two half-forward flankers who were very key in how Port play in terms of transitioning from midfield into their forward line in Wines, I'm sorry, Wingard and Montreux. Like I, well, I'm with my personal thing, but I think Wingard will win a Brownlow medal in his career. Well, um. If he gets a bit more into the mid, look, uh, umpire, I've got no idea how umpires make some decisions, so I'm not going to try and work out how they vote. But I think he'll have to get into the midfield to, to ever win a brown line. Um, you know, he's good enough. He's got all the skills and, you know, he does all the flashy things to attract players. But he, he's, I don't know if he's fit enough yet to, to be in the midfield all day. But uh, for that to happen, he'll have to transition out of being, I mean, his, his numbers are amazing for a half forward flanker. Um, they're almost midfield light, but he's, he's uh, said to get the umpires' uh, votes. It seems like you've got to be in the guts, 
no problem again. No. But, uh, John, do you want me to talk about Burgess? Uh, you made a comment about Burgess. Uh, I'm happy to talk about him. Yeah, it's just, I just think his conditioning skills are pretty much what keeps Port Adelaide apart because, again, they're perfectly conditioned week in, week out. Like, they know how to prepare for a game mentally yeah. and physically and t tactically, which is just... It's a massive leg up, and he has experience in the Premier League where, well, an AFL fixture is laughable for him, pretty much. That's how I see it, because 50 games in like short space compared to 22 games week by week. So, Well, well it, the games also changed, because he was yeah. at Port. For, uh, he got there in November 2004 and left uh, January 2008. He actually told the club just before Christmas that he was leaving. So Port sort of snuck into the grand final in 2007. And my, my complaint about Burgess was that um, before he went away to, uh, to the Socceroos was that we weren't big enough because, um, you know, Brisbane, even in their premiership years, but Geelong in particular, but lots of other sides physically were, were, were bigger than Port. And that's part of the reason why we got smashed in the grand final was that we just couldn't physically go with Geelong and then after that there were mental scars and we regularly got beaten up physically by by sides but I think the game's changed so much with the rotations and you know you're having to run so you've got to have a decent amount of speed but you've really got to have endurance uh, say compared to five ten years ago and um, you know if you look at players and you listen to players a lot of players now saying they're two or three kilos lighter because they just have to run so much so you've still got to be a decent size to bash and crash but you've got to have your, your, your fitness and your, uh, your endurance. And, you know, I suspect the whole Essendon thing has made the whole industry very wary of what they take. And I'm, I don't want to you know, cast any aspersions on anybody, but I suspect some stuff has been changed because it's been on the margin. It could be a little bit over, it could be a little bit under, but it's been on the margin. And I think that's had some effect, as well as the guys just dropping weight. And you've got, as you said, you've got a guy who's come back from a, from a EPL background where you've got to play 50 games. And he's big on endurance running, and he's obviously big on sort of heat training. And at the moment, it's pretty hot. And, you know, we're taking advantage of it. Okay. Uh, happy to. You got any questions? Um, yeah, I was just uh, flicking through some stats before. Uh, obviously, you guys are just talking about the conditioning. Um, I heard last year that uh, one thing Port Adelaide were doing with their new younger recruits was um, the not so much focusing on getting their body bigger to compete with AFL bodies through weights, but more working on um, their endurance and more uh, running-type training to try and get them to run out games better. Uh, my first question would be, is there any truth to that that I heard? Um they did some weights, but yeah, the, the focus has been on, on on the running. And part of Burgess has said that in his first pre-season, they didn't do as much running as he wanted to because partly we had a lot of operations. And secondly, our skills were crap. So we had to work on our skills. So Hinckley and Richardson and Burgess put their head together, and probably the other assistants, and decided to do a lot of skills drills where you had to do a lot of running so that you were sort of trying to blend the two together whereby you're spending time on improving your skills. Because our kicking improved 
uh, out of sight because obviously Hinkley wants us to, to play a Geelong corridor style footy. So to do that, you've got to you've got to improve your kicking because um, you know in 2011, 2012 we were the turnover kings and we weren't as fit. You turn the ball over means you're spending time chasing backsides rather than setting up to go towards goal and setting up a win. And you know even if we were fit, we we weren't as fit as now, but whatever level we were at, we were wasting a lot of energy on chasing God because our turnovers were crap. So um, there's a lot of truth to that. Supposedly, Ollie Wines never did weights in under-18 levels. And he came in, you know, as you said, he was a man-child. And he does some weights at the club, but um, uh, they, they concentrated on a lot of... on big workloads. Um, big footies, uh, the Port Board's been sponsoring a few players... Uh, 12, 13 and 14 now uh, we don't know who our 14 plays and, and we had a dinner with um, Matthew Broadbent was our player and the club sent along Tom Jonas and he actually sat and he sort of talked us through what some of the stuff that Burgess does and he basically says they can tell with their training loads when they're getting close to being injured and when they're going to sort of um, uh, level off and not perform so well just because the way the, they um I guess that software package they've got that they keep all their data. He says they can. He said they can predict, or Burgess is able to predict when they're going to peak and when they're going to trough. Now, I suspect all all clubs have that stuff. How good and how different is it? I've got no idea. But I could just tell from listening to Tommy Jonas talk that he has full faith in what Darren Burgess is telling them about what they need to do and, you know, when issues are going to come up because of the, their training loads and their potential for maybe soft tissue injuries because they're doing so much, you know, they obviously got GPS readings from their games and as well as their training um, loads. Yeah. Um, another thing that um, I've come across is uh, so far in the first two rounds of this season, uh, Port is ranked third in the league for kicks per game and fourth for marks per game. But alternatively, they're also ranked 14th for handballs per game and 15th for hitouts per game. Um, with the umpires putting away the, the whistle, the stoppages around the ground are actually down last year. I had the numbers before. Um, they're down from roughly 23 stoppages around the ground per game to 18. Um, do you think that could be helping out Port a lot with their um, their game plan being a lot more free-flowing and long kicks into space and uncontested possessions and marking and stuff without the, stop, uh, the stoppages? Because handballing doesn't seem to be a high priority on their list. Well, last year there were a lot of games. When, when we weren't playing well, it was almost a one-to-one -one ratio. I, I haven't looked at the ratio this year. I guess uh, while we're talking, I can have a quick look. But, but I know at times I got frustrated because we... Our, our kick to, to handball ratio was too too close to one to one, so. Um, uh, your kicks really, to handball. So so far this year, you've had four hundred and fifty one kicks and two hundred and eighty handballs. Well, that 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 that'd be a lot bigger discrepancy than this time last year. So we're definitely running more. And the one thing I know, I don't know where to find the stats, but I'm, we've taken a lot more bounces in in these first two games and probably. If you look at any games last year and pulled any two random games out, or or the most two bounces, I reckon I reckon we'd we'd beat that. And so your average, that... so your average run with the ball has probably increased by. Oh yeah, there, right. it, look, it could be an optical illusion, but to my eyes, but to my eyes, we are just carrying the ball, and I think a guy like Jared Polak's important. 
because he had he had six or seven bounces in the first quarter. Plus in the third quarter, he had that four bounce run. Um, yeah. He's 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 definitely got the confidence. Whether he had it before Paul, before he got the port, I'm not sure because I've seen some of his um, under 18s footage and he used to do bounce runs. There wasn't much from he didn't play a lot of games. Only 16 at, in three years at uh, Brisbane. But he's, he's prepared to carry. And he'll even kick the ball, you know, only 15, 20 metres, get the handball, and then do a, a one or two bounce run after he receives the handball back. And uh, I lived interstate for 18 years, and I came back in 2010. And so being at the ground the last four or last three years, the most frustrating thing that I found was that when I saw guys get the ball and had 40 metres, they didn't know what to do, and they didn't, like, hit the gas straight away. And that's partly a confidence thing. It's partly a structure thing. Whereas now, when our players know they've got space, they look up. They might not be there. Say, bugger it! I'm going to run and carry. I'm going to, and, and that's just so noticeable. It started to happen late last year, but it's really noticeable in the in the one. I've been to uh, I've been to one game. Obviously, Adelaide Oval game, one trial match, and the Essendon game and the Carlton game on TV. The Essendon uh, trial match. It stands out. It stands out that the run and carry uh, has stepped up, not one notch, but probably five compared to last year. Yeah, um, with bounces, uh, I've just found uh, so far Port Adelaide's had 37 bounces this year in the first two rounds, and their opponents have had 31. So I can't, I couldn't find Port Adelaide bounces for last year this time or anything like that. So I can't compare them. But you are up on your opponents and how often they are bouncing the ball. Um, they're also Port Adelaide are. Uh, Third for marks inside 50 per game, so that would give you a good chance because I noticed when I was at the Carlton Port Adelaide game that they, te- they uh, seemed to be taking a lot of marks inside 50, um, whether or not they actually took the shot at goal there or got themselves into a better position, uh, gives them time to straighten up um, instead of just rushing in and just bombing the ball at the goals is pretty good. Um, Port Adelaide's also ranked 14th for clearances per game. Um, with your being 15th for hitouts and 14th for clearances, do you think that could come back later on in the season and um, cause a bit of a downfall in a couple of crucial games for you? Uh, yeah, it, it could well. It, um, um, I know against Carlton, Carlton just were a, got on top of us in the clearances. And whenever Carlton had the momentum, it was because we got smashed in the clearances. So I suspect the club's trying to address that. Uh because wasn't you, there you also can't, you can't live off the opposition turning over the ball all the time, and we've just smashed both Carlton and uh, I think we kicked sixteen of our nineteen goals on the weekend were because of turnovers. Yeah, it was something crazy like yeah. that I saw. So you can't. Yeah, look, we I think over the season we've got to improve that, and especially as the weather becomes, um, uh, you know, wetter and uh, the grounds are greasier. So, uh, you know, your run's still important, but um, we, we've got to definitely improve our, our clearance work. Okay, guys, last questions for Russell Ebenhamel. Were you satisfied with your club's drafting and free agency period and trading? Uh, Polak, we effectively got three players for two picks in the, in the Polak trade. So... We got Impey at 21, which supposedly the club was really keen to get him with 14, which was part of what we had to give up for to get Polak. So I'm really happy we got White. White's, you know, is, is, he's fast as well as got decent endurance. Polak seems to, the reports are he's an elite kick and he's lived up to that. And what surprised me is that 
he's pretty good inside. He's a lot better than what I thought he would be inside. And he's, with his good kicking skills, he's a great outside runner. So no complaints there. Jarman Impey has impressed the hell out of me. Um, you know, he's given the job on Betts. Betts had a good 20 or 30 minutes and kicked three goals on him. And uh, the other goal was on Jonas. But for a kid who's only playing his second game, and even in his first game, he plays with a, he's got great evasive skills. Uh, he's got fantastic vertical leap, but he's got he's confident without being cocky. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the sub this week, just like Broadbent in the first week and White in the second week, and told you want to play next week, you better have a good uh, you know last quarter when you're the sub. And if that's the case, don't be surprised if he gets 10, 12 possession and just burns off his opposition because he's pretty quick and um, we drafted he, he was drafted and uh, our third pick Bryn Jones and our last pick Eamon and even our um, first rookie pick who turn, only turns 18 a few days before the end of the year so he's the bottom major they're all picked because they're small fast defenders and last year the three games against Geelong Motlop killed us we had nobody to run with him so that's why we probably got White plus these small defenders uh, and Impey can run with them. Um, Harry Bunnell killed us. The two uh, boys from Fremantle, Walters and Valentine, killed us. And the three Aboriginal guys from uh, Carlton absolutely killed us uh, whenever we played them. So, so Impey was drafted as well as the other guys who haven't played yet specifically to be those fast, small defenders. So I wanted somebody taller, uh, maybe a key uh, key pick with our first pick, but uh, the recruiters got it a lot right, more correct than what than what I had it. Oh, um, happy dude. Anything else from you? Um, no, you pretty much touched on um, all my points. I was actually going to ask about the drafting as well. Um, obviously, Port Adelaide had had a very good start to the season. Um, yeah, best of luck for the rest of the year. Thanks. Uh, just before we wrap it up, um, obviously I'm going to ask you about uh, your sponsors and stuff like that, because uh, that's pretty much what we talk about. Um, Port Adelaide have had a really good run in terms of getting sponsors. They've got massive membership this year. Um, is this going to like how long is it going to take them to get out of debt? Uh, well, we've got to get out of deficit first. I think we'll break even this year. And uh, we'll make a decent profit, uh, probably 2015. We break even this year, you know, given the big changes, and uh, you know, we don't have the handouts from the Sandfall. Uh, uh, that's pretty good. What we're getting is we're getting a shitload of uh, minor sponsors, mm. and then obviously the because you can only have two or three majors, mm. obviously. But it, it's it's getting those You're minor getting... sponsors on board to get work them up rather than be the fourth level, get them to grow to become the second or the third and then the second tiered sponsor. You know, go from being a 50 grand sponsor to a 250 grand sponsor a year. Mm. And we're getting lots of the, we're getting lots of the 50 grand, lots of jumping on board. And I know, I know there are, look, this, this is the dopey essay politics of 1990. I know that when we uh, near rock bottom, there were people saying, bugger it, until, until we get our license from the SANFL, why should I stick money in there? Uh, as I said, they're the smaller corporate types. You know, they're not, they're not the guys who want to be your, your major sponsor. And I think that the fact now the club is one club again, you don't have any of that crap with the sandfall and that we're two clubs and 
you know, players are playing all over the other uh, different Sandfield clubs. The manager's going to uh, be dropped. You play well in the Bs, you get a game in the A's. You're not, but you have to go off to Nord and play well. Um, I, I suspect 2015 will be a profitable year, and the same 2016. We'll always have a bit of debt, but there's no dramas about that. What you don't want is you don't want deficit being built up because of debt built up because of deficit. Um, you know, if you're going to have debt, make sure you're buying an asset, not because you're covering accumulated losses. Fair enough. A complicated answer from Russell Ebert Hamble. Thank you very much, guys, for your questions and Russell for your answers. It has been nice. a, been a pleasure. And uh, guys, thank you very much for your contributions this evening. And uh, we will see you, as always, on the forums. Cheer, cheer the black and the white.